well, brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty common expression to hear someone say, it's not the end of the world. Okay, have you guys, have you guys heard that one before? Have you guys said that one before? It's not the end of the world. You know, sometimes we'll say that after um, a pretty trivial thing happens. You know, for instance, maybe, maybe I've got an ice cream cone, you know, later this afternoon, and, and I drop it on the ground. Someone, I, I might look very upset, maybe hide my face and cry a little bit. And someone might say to me, look, it's not the end of the world, okay? Now, it's kind of funny because I think what, what the intention of this expression is, is kind of to say, okay, I realize that you're upset, you know, you need to be comforted right now, but let's, let's look at the grand scheme of things, let's put everything in perspective and say, you know, what just happened to you, it's not as bad as like, let's say, oh, the world ending, right? We jump, we jump to there, we make zero to 60, you know? Um, and I think it's kind of funny though, because apparently, the worst thing that we can possibly imagine happening is the end of the world. And yet, when we look in the scriptures, the final prayer that is offered in the final chapter of the final book is a prayer for the world to end, right? If you're saying, come Lord Jesus, have you thought about that before? It's meaning, come back and end this thing, right? Judgment day, the last day, that's what we're talking about. Jesus will come back, uh, human history will be at an end, and he will usher in now his new eternal age. But I don't know if we've always you know, thought about this. So there, maybe there's some kind of a tension here if we're thinking, okay, some of us, we kind of offhandedly remark on how the end of the world is the worst thing that could happen, and yet as Christians, we're supposed to pray for Jesus to, to come back. So I think there's a little bit of, of tension there. So I want you to think about this today. Um, when you hear that, that phrase, come Lord Jesus, does it sound kind of like an exciting thing to you? Like, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Or does it terrify you to your very soul? I think if we were you know, being very honest with ourselves and with each other, we would probably report that uh, maybe somewhere in between is the truth, but I think there's, there are certain things that might uh, make us a little apprehensive about longing for Jesus to return like in 10 seconds or something. So I want to talk through some of that stuff here today. I want us to think about what might hold us back from saying this prayer. What might prevent us from saying, come Lord Jesus and meaning it? And I've, you know, I think we could, uh, I could probably poll you guys, and you guys would have some really good answers, but um, I've brainstormed a few, so may maybe, maybe I'll hit some of you with, with some of the things that I have come up with, my sense, you know, just in talking to people over the years, what is holding us back from, from praying that prayer? And I think I could summarize the, the main thing that holds us back in just one word. It's a word we don't really like. It's the word fear. I think we all have some measure of fear relating to the return of Jesus. One might be just fear of judgment day, right? You hear judgment day, you kind of, <laughs> your heartbeat goes up a little bit, you know, the blood pressure might rise, judgment day. I know, I don't want to speak for everyone, but um, I'm very comfortable 
with a tame version of Jesus. You know, cuddly Jesus, best friend forever Jesus. Uh, but when I think about Judgment Day and Jesus returning, this is like Jesus in the fullness of his power and majesty and might, and I get a little overwhelmed and just a downright terrified thinking of that, because I'd like know I know what I'm like, and uh, if he's coming to talk about what I've done in my life, I'm a little concerned about that. So maybe maybe you're like me, and just thinking about Jesus coming in his judgment, uh, maybe concerns you just a tad. But what are some other things that might hold us back? I think fear of the unknown. Does anyone suffer from that condition? Fear of the unknown? I like to know if I'm, I, I like to know what I'm getting myself into. I like to be able to, you know, tell me what the process is going to be so I can know what to expect. And we don't know. We know in broad strokes what's going to happen when Jesus returns, but we don't know every single detail. We haven't, you know, gotten the agenda for the day exactly, so maybe we're wondering what that will be like. We're afraid of things that we don't know all the ins and outs of. There might even be, you know, this fear uh, that we're not ready. I've thought about that before, you know. I'm you know, Jesus, it would be really nice if you could uh, not come back quite yet. There are still some life experiences that I want to have. Uh, I remember very vividly, I was, I was probably about 11 years old, and there was a plane that flew very low over my house. And I was sure in that moment that it was the return of Jesus. <laughs> and it was about two weeks away from my birthday. And I prayed very fervently in that moment that Jesus would hold off because I knew there were a couple video games I was getting and I really wanted to have a few weeks to, to play those video games. And I, so I thought, well, you know, maybe around November 1st, you know, my birthday's in early October, maybe around November 1st might be a good date, Jesus, if you're taking input. Um, you guys are losing respect for your pastor now with every second here. But sometimes, you know, we, we might be thinking, there's some things on my bucket list that I, you know, I want to have, I want to do this and I do that, so Jesus, come back in a few decades. That'll, that'll work well for me. But, but, you know, on a more serious note, you know, am I, am I ready for Jesus to return? We might be thinking about actually our spiritual condition. Might be thinking, you know, am I right with God? Do I believe the right way? Is my faith strong enough? You know, we might just kind of do an internal <laughs> checkup uh, worrying about these things because we are fearful that Jesus would come before we are ready. We're also, I think, fearful sometimes um, that Jesus will come before people that we care about are ready. And that, I think, really strikes a, strikes a chord with me and with you. You know, there's somewhere between one and 17 people in your life, probably, that you are praying for and just longing for them to know Jesus. And so you, you, maybe you pray, Jesus, just don't come back until, until they're ready too. So there's all these things, all these considerations that we might be having here and some fears where we may be held back a little bit from fully praying, come, Lord Jesus. But the thing that, from this Revelation text today, that really stood out to me and made me uh, dare to preach on it is this the fact that the passage wraps up with a prayer 
still saying, amen, come Lord Jesus. And so I was thinking, you know, what might lead us then to pray this prayer, even given all of the, the apprehensions or the things that might hold us back from praying it, what might actually lead us to pray this prayer? Because I think that the goal of this last chapter of Revelation is to make us pray this prayer confidently and fervently to God. Jesus you know, he closes out this final chapter here of the final book of the Bible. He says, surely I am coming soon. And, uh, and then John, he's, he's the one who's receiving this revelation and writing it down for us. He kind of just speaks on behalf of everybody. Amen, come Lord Jesus. He's praying this prayer on behalf of us. And I think, you know, how do we get there? How do we get there? How do I get to the point where I'm praying that prayer and I'm meaning it with all that I have? Come, Lord Jesus. So I, I want us to think about this, this final message. I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever there's like the ending of something, ending of a book, ending of a TV show, ending of a movie, whatever, I always want to pay special attention to what the author is trying to communicate at the very end. Because it's probably like, okay, I don't want to take any chances. I want the people who are watching this or reading this to, to like know what, I, what my main point is trying to be. So I, I pay extra special attention here in the final chapter of the Bible because I think what is, what is so port, important about this message that God is saving it for the end. And it's, it's not a new message. It's not like he's waited all this time. It's a reiteration. It's a remembrance <laughs> for us of the message that has gone throughout the entire scriptures but he wants to make sure one more time, let's not take any chances, one more time, let's give it to the people. And so how does hearing that message lead us to pray, come Lord Jesus? Let's see if we can find this out here today. Now, I want us, I'm gonna invite you now to come along with me on a nice peaceful stroll through Revelation chapter 22. Have you ever taken a peaceful stroll through Revelation before? You, you kind of have to like be on your guard, you know, like something's going to pop out of the bushes at me. You know, it's kind of a, you know, on edge a little bit. But let, let's see. Let's see what we can do here. Um, go a couple verses at a time. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I don't know about you guys, I'm getting major Garden of Eden vibes from these two verses, okay? Garden of Eden, we've got rivers of the waters of life, you know, water and life, uh, common biblical themes, major Jesus talking points throughout the scriptures. Uh, then we get the tree of life itself, that's from the Garden of Eden, this is, but this is like, better than the original Garden of Eden. That one lasted for about a page and a half. And then, pff, sin enters. Now we've got 2.0, the bigger and better version of the Garden of Eden here. And we are definitely looking forward to this. There's a regular supply of fruit for us from the tree. There's healing of the nations. These are things that we're praying for on a daily basis, right? Wonderful. Uh, Garden of Eden new paradise that we have to look forward to. We move on a little bit. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. This is really the Christian hope, right, that there will be no, nothing accursed anymore. No bad stuff. 
No evil, no sin, no brokenness. Those things are extinct in God's renewed creation that he's giving us a picture of here. We look forward to that. We long for his presence to be among us and for everything to be healed and set right again. Verse 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Guys, we're all getting tattoos apparently. <laughs> who, who wants to volunteer to go first? Okay, uh, a visual powerful reminder on our forehead, the name of God, who we are, whose we are. And you don't have to worry about having to one day spend a bunch of money to get the tattoo removed because there's not going to be a breakup here. God is not going to break up with you. He's in it for the long haul, forever and ever. That relationship will endure, and so we'll just be able to, to have that identity right there, child of God. Verse 5, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. I mean, this is, like just these first five verses alone, it's striking, it's kind of overwhelming how perfect this all is. Like, I'm, I don't know about you guys, I'm already, I'm ready to say, come Lord Jesus already. Maybe we can just have a shorter sermon today. Uh, but no, we'll, we'll keep going. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's like, wow. If this is what's in store for us, just get here already, Jesus. Come on. I, I want this. He goes on. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Now this is, uh, I really want us to focus on that, that line. These words are trustworthy and true. Now, I think that he might be referring specifically to the book of Revelation, right? But also, I think we can legitimately say that this applies to all of his words. From Genesis through Revelation in the Holy Scriptures that he has given to us. And Jesus is going to continue through the rest of this chapter on this theme of his words, his message being trustworthy and true. Because to believe the words of Jesus, uh, that's the most important thing. To believe the words of of Jesus. If you do that, everything else falls into place in this life, but especially in the life to come. All right, let's move on. Jump to verse 12 here. Jesus is speaking. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end got to quibble with Jesus a little bit here. I have never used the word soon to refer to 2,000 years and counting, but Jesus casually does so. But I also humbly will admit that my perspective on time is a little bit different than the one whom we call the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. And I will readily admit that my, you know, some, many, more often than not, my will and my timeline for how things ought to go is here. And God's is over here. And maybe if you're like me, 
I've tried to like, you know, get God's one to, to come over here. That's a fool's errand I have found, uh, finally. Just, just discovered that recently. Um, what works better is for you to pray to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will <laughs> move yours over here to align with God's timeline and, and God's will. So then we can pray, you know, Jesus, on your timeline, come. Set things right again. So we'll defer to Jesus on this one. Verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Got to stop right there. Whatever this type, this brand of laundry detergent is that Jesus is talking about, I want that. What, what is it that you're washing your robes? Well, he talks about it elsewhere uh, in the book of Revelation, in the scriptures too, but, but they talk about how blessed are those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. That's the, that's the crucified Jesus Christ who has shed his blood to take our sins away, to make us his very own people. So it's no kind of earthly you know, detergent or something that you're washing, the only one that leaves you in a lasting, um, pure and clean and forgiven way is to wash in the blood of the lamb. This is the, the dress code, the entrance requirement, but it is given freely to each one of us. Now he goes on. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Things are taking a turn here. It's kind of a, I don't know how else to say it other than this is a, a tragic reality that there are some who will not end up in eternal life with God. And I think Jesus has a whole list here, but that last phrase sums it up quite well. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So we already have Jesus talking about how his words are true and they are trustworthy, and now intention with that is falsehood. And this is a tension that the world knows this is a tension that I have felt. This is a tension that you have felt as well every single day of your lives. Which voice to listen to? Which way to follow? The truth is given freely. The washing in the blood of the Lamb is given freely. But there are some who tragically reject Jesus and his word. And they will remain on the outside looking in and Jesus is very clear that it's they will have no one to blame but themselves we go on to verse 16 I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches you know he's saying I want you guys to know the two different paths for life or death I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. 
and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Again, he's saying, it doesn't cost anything. Well, it costs Jesus plenty. It doesn't cost you anything. It's without price. It is free to all. The bride, that's us, the church. The church is the bride of Christ. So if, if you trust in Jesus, then you say, come. That's the prayer of all who trust in Jesus, is come, Lord Jesus. Jesus goes on with another warning here. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, I, when I was a kid, I remember reading this, um, these couple of verses here, and being very concerned about people who write in their Bibles. Are they, have they read these verses? Are they aware that they're breaking the word of God? They're adding something? I, that's not what he's talking about, right? Because some of the most godly people I know write all, all throughout their Bibles. I don't think he's, he's not necessarily concerned so much with like writing in your Bible, um, you know, cutting parts of the Bible. Well, he would be concerned about that. But he, he's talking about this promotion of falsehood and giving a warning against that. So whether it's a pastor or a teacher or whether it's an individual Christian who treats the word of God like it's a buffet or something, I'll take some of this, this looks good, but I don't want, I'm not gonna take any of this, I'm gonna throw that in the trash because I don't like that, I don't like the looks of that. That's not how it works. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is true and it is trustworthy. So Jesus is setting the record straight one final time. Listen to him and you will enter eternal life. Don't, and you will be on the outside looking in. And then finally, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And then John, with his sign off, amen, come Lord Jesus. And so that kind of brings us back to where we started originally. What would lead me to make this prayer my own? Come Lord Jesus. Well, as Jesus is saying, if you love and practice falsehood, you're never gonna, never gonna pray this prayer because the come Lord Jesus message is going to scare you. It is going to be a message of law, of judgment, of condemnation. So you will never desire the coming of the Lord Jesus. If you place your own timeline and your own will above that of the Lord Jesus, you will never say these words. If you love the things of this life and this world more than the things of God, you will never say these words. But if you know the trustworthy and true words of Jesus, if you know that you are his, then you will say, come, Lord Jesus. If you are washed in the blood of Christ, if you know that your sins are forgiven, then you say, come, Lord Jesus. And this, this prayer, it's not, just, it's not just enough to be like, well, okay, Jesus, I guess I will allow you to come whenever you think is appropriate. You know, that's not quite there yet. The prayer of the Christian who knows the trustworthy words of Jesus and who is washed in the blood of the Lamb is a full-bodied, you know, fervent passionate prayer, come Lord Jesus any minute, whenever you want. 
Come, Lord Jesus. And I think that the Spirit still has to teach us how to pray that way. And so I want to I conclude today by actually praying for all of us. I want to pray for us that we would learn to pray this way. So let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray this way. Teach us to desperately desire the return of Jesus, to redeem and to restore all things, and to usher in that eternal life of peace that he has won for us by his blood. Come, Lord Jesus, in your name. Now may the peace of God that passes all of our human understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.